to another bonus episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and my guest today is no stranger to this podcast and having the hard conversations. Emmy Kegler is a pastor, author, and speaker called to ministry at the margins of the church, especially among the LGBTQIA Christians. She serves as pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Northeast Minneapolis, a small servant-hearted neighborhood congregation focused on feeding the hungry and community outreach. She's passionate about curating worship and theological practices that dismantle barriers to those historically marginalized by Christian practice. Emmy was first a guest on the podcast two summers ago, where she shared her story about being a queer Christian called to ordain ministry. If you listen to that episode, you know that reading Emmy's book and hearing her story has literally been life-changing for me and my own journey in becoming more loving, affirming, and accepting of every human. Emmy was and still is instrumental in helping me open my eyes to the kaleidoscope of God's kingdom table and what it really means to love our neighbor well. In this episode, I welcome Emmy back for a conversation about raising kids beyond purity culture in an LGBTQ plus affirming home. We talk about what to do if and when your child comes out, boundaries to help set up with kids, and the importance of teaching kids about body autonomy and consent. So listen in where we jump right into this conversation and talk about lots more as I have a conversation with one of my favorite humans, Emmy Kegler. Life is a lot right now, so I appreciate you doing this with me. Yeah, of course. And even this morning, I was talking to my oldest, well, this seems like trivial with what's all going on in the world. But then I'm like reminded, this is life, though, that we're living every day. The world doesn't stop. Raising children, being affirming, all that doesn't stop with what's all going on. So thank you for joining me today, Emmy. Yeah, of course. No, it it is one of those, like, it feels so small, but... Like the the way that we work with the next generation and the way that we teach them to value themselves will make a difference both now and in the long run. And if we're going to try to combat like the major issues going on in the world, compromising ourselves and our, you know, and the future generations and making ourselves smaller isn't going to help. God, that's good. That is Truth. I needed that word this morning because I think we can all start feeling just overwhelmed and like we're not doing anything. So you're exactly, exactly right. And that's why I just, I know this is an important conversation to have. And I, again, welcome back for the third time to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I didn't even give you an <laughs> official introduction, but we're recording and welcome back. Okay. We're just jumping right into all of the things. So today, Emmy, as you know, we're going to talk about what to do, like a what to do when, if your child comes out, raising children in a home that is safe and affirming. And like I mentioned to you during Pride Month, I had several moms that I don't know reach out to me and needing a safe place to tell about their children and not knowing what to do. And I'm not the expert at all. I'm feeling my way through this, as you know. And so I think especially in Christian homes, it's really hard. And especially if you're doing your own faith, deconstruction, reconstruction. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to juxtapose that with the whole film, Pray Away, that that is clearly not what we do. Conversion therapy doesn't work. 
it causes way more harm. Do you want to say anything about that and that film before we dive in the to do's what to do? Um, so pray away just recently came out. It's been released on, uh, Netflix and, or maybe on HBO. I don't remember which, but it's been released on streaming services. Um, obviously limited release in theaters right now, but so it, it focuses on multiple stories. Um, Julie Rogers in particular has been spearheading it, but it's not the, hers is not the only story, but it, her story very much encapsulates the the idea of being raised up by, you know, being raised up in a family and a church that demanded conversion therapy, um, becoming a spokesperson for Exodus International uh, before the age of 20. And you know, sort of being sent around as like, this is proof that you can be transformed from your sexuality. And Julie eventually got to a point of saying that's, that's not true. And it's never been true. Um, and in fact, Exodus International has disbanded since then. It's been reincarnated in different ways and conversion therapy still persists and the ideas behind it in our churches. So, um, we may not, um, as parents or as pastors or as members of a church, we may not sort of notice that that's happening until a child near and dear to us comes out. And then all of a sudden we notice what has been going on in our churches and what we maybe have been teaching in our homes, you know, sort of unintentionally. And then what do we do with that? How do we, how do we, how do we <laughs> ah, so many thoughts all at once. I know. Um, I know. And that, I'm so glad you said that. Cause that was my thought with that fil film. You know, we can say, Oh, we're not, we're not doing that. Like we're, but the subtle messages I think that are so harmful that we're right. sending. I mean, it's one thing obviously to be full-blown conversion therapy involved in that, but then it's another to be sending these messages or to getting these messages from the church or purity culture or peers or whatever. So, um, right. It's this moment of suddenly realizing what has been taught and what's going on when it just becomes so much more real, um, and so much more personal. And I think so many parents, um, you know, when their, when their child comes out who have been raising them within Christian context that might've been pushing conversion therapy or something like it, don't really realize what's been going on until that moment. Yeah. And then yeah. that necessi the necessity of unpacking so many things can feel so overwhelming. Um, there's just so many assumptions that the church makes for us, that culture makes for us, that if we haven't had previous exposure to thought processes that deconstruct them, we, we don't notice them, right? Like you, you get a onesie for a friend who's just had a new baby. Um, and it says ladies, man. And it's like, Oh, isn't that so cute. And mm -hmm. the, yes. and the, the moment you start noticing the way that we sexualize within very specific gender roles, children from a, from birth, you look at some of the birth announcements and the way that they're gendered. You know, if it's, if you're announcing that it's a little boy that you've got coming on the way, it's all like cowboys and guns and trucks. And if it's a little girl, then it's flowers and pastels. And like the, the way that we gender things so early on and the way that we sexualize them, the moment you start noticing that it does feel like this giant theological record scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, and it feels totally overwhelming and it may be a little annoying too. <laughs> right. No, it really does. It all kind of starts unraveling and all of that comes into play because I feel like, okay, it's one thing, you know, you're deconstructing, reconstructing your faith as a parent, you're become, you're affirming, you're attending affirming church, but then your child comes out to you and that changes everything. It really does. It's like when it hits close to home and you also start realizing all these other things that we've preached and taught in this heteronormative society, 
that it is a lot and, and you can be as affirming and inclusive, but when your child comes out, it's, it's a different story and it's scary. And I think ultimately, I mean, I know parents want the best for their children and we're doing the best we can. And it's certainly an easy, easier road. I don't, I don't want to say it that way. It's not, it's an easier road in society to be accepted when you're straight and white and all that. It's definitely not an easier road for that child to have that pushed upon them. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about what that first conversation might look like yes. for a parent. Like your child comes out to you. What do you do? <laughs> I start, can I back way up? And I didn't yeah. say this in the message because this is what my thought is going through my mind as a, as a mom thinking about this this morning. So, you, you know, I've raised my first daughter in purity culture, conservative church, all of that. And so I was very determined with my second to not be preaching purity culture, to have open conversations about sex, to talk to, you know, to just, but never in those conversations at an early age, did I bring up like same sex or, you know, it was always like male, female, heterosexual, here's how it works. Here's, so I'm curious from you, do we start bringing that option up early? Like that's what I'm really wrestling, trying to get my mind around. Right. Cause there is that, that thought of like, well, a, how do you even talk about it? And B, I mean, there's, there's so many thoughts I think that parents have when you're approaching that conversation, like, how do you even talk about it? If you don't know anything about, mm-hmm. you know, non-heterosexual sex or gender identities, mm-hmm. um, or, or non-cisgender gender identities, how, how do you talk about it? when is appropriate to talk about it? And, and then like, if you talk about it, is that more likely to sort of in the colloquial way of expressing it, make them gay? Like if I bring it up, you know, in the same way that parents worry, like if I bring up to my child, you know, who's skipping meals, like, do you think, do do you think maybe you have an eating disorder? Well, now I've planted that seed in their head. Right. Or if I give my kid a condom, they're going to go have sex. So it's like, am I, am I, am I feeding that? Yeah. Yes. So what's helpful is to start practicing conversations that are also about like values and how we learn, because one of the things that we're finding with kids right now is that a lot of the information that they get around sex and sexuality is not coming from parents, not coming from teachers in school sex ed, but coming from the internet. And of course we used to have, you know, and we still have, you know, the, the way that rumors get spread around on the playground and at recess and at the lunch tables and in locker rooms. But now you have this vastly expanded universe where kids can Google pretty much anything, um, and find out pretty much anything. And so, you know, the ways that we've tried to sort of tamp down on that in, in more purity culture is like, you cannot think about sex or do anything about sex until your wedding night. And then everything will be fine. And it's only between a man and a woman. And it's only between a man and a woman. Right. Right. right, right. right. And of course we found that there are a lot of problems and a lot of holes and actually a lot of trauma caused by that system. But then like, well, what do we, the only other option is just blatant hedonism. Right. Um, right. With anybody you with, want, whenever you want. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, which, okay. There are absolutely anecdotal cases in which that's true. Uh, I don't think that's the only other option. And that kind of like extreme ditch is a lot of, I mean, that's, that's really some propaganda that gets practiced, right. Of like, well, the only other option is just absolute sinfulness. So we have to stay at this side. And like, there's, there's more than two options. So when we talk to our kids about sex and romance, how do we help them learn values that extend to whatever their sexual relationships are rather than just saying like, 
you know, what is like, stay away from people of the same sex, but then like, whatever your husband wants to do after marriage, that's your marital duty. Like, what if we helped kids figure out, um, one of the, one of the first things that parents can start with at very early ages is body autonomy. And we're seeing this come up in a lot of conversations, especially in like the gentle parenting movement where you can teach your kid, like you don't have to give someone a hug if you don't want to, um, let's provide other options for saying hello, saying goodbye, greeting, um, friends or neighbors or family. And there's a lot of pushback already on this. Like, what do you mean? My granddaughter's not going to hug me if she doesn't want to, um, because we have for generations said, if someone else wants a hug, you have to give it to them. And, and this idea of like, well, but I want a hug. So why can't I have it? And this is a child. You will make them hug me is so very ingrained in some older generations. So one of the things we can start doing right away with kids is teaching them body autonomy, because that's going to carry into any sexual or romantic relationship they have. If you don't feel comfortable, get out. So good. Cause that goes along with the consent. Exactly. For the older kids. And the same way you start teaching kids, if someone else isn't comfortable, you give them space. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it goes both ways, right? Not only are you not expected to hug someone, but if someone else says, they don't want to play. If someone else says they don't want to hug, like we learn this and it's, and so to start there and start talking about, I mean, that's not about sex, right. But it is about sex. And it goes against, not against, it's a direct opposition to what purity culture is teaching us about these strict rules and only until marriage. And that opens the door for other healthy conversations about with your child. Exactly. Exactly. Like, how do I learn when I feel comfortable? How do I learn how to respect someone else's boundaries? How do I trust my own body and my instincts? Like, how do I know when I need to get a parent or another adult involved? These are really important lessons that can extend into the future. Um, And I think just thinking this through, I think that exposure two couples that are gay, like in the movies, in books, that helps too, because that makes it seem we get out of this heteronormative cisgendered box. So just like we want exposure to other cultures and ethnicities, I think it's really important for our kids to see these other relationships as options. And I mean, if you're from the camp that you think that exposure is going to make them gay, then I don't think this is the right place to start. There is that worry of like, if they're exposed to this, then they're more likely to become gay or or identify among the LGBTQIA community. And like the truth is, yes, they are because it's been presented as an option in the same way that if you told your children, the only two options for career are doctor, lawyer, or or the only three options, let's say, are doctor, lawyer, or teacher. And then one day they meet somebody who is a stay at home author and they go, wait, that's, that's an option. And I've always like, they will find a connection point to that if they have wanted to do it. Um, I didn't have any role models as a kid. Like there were, um, Ellen DeGeneres came out on TV when I was, uh, 12 or 14. I never remember the exact year because every, there was a lot happening all at once. Like I didn't have any role models in media and yet I knew what was going on with me. Like I knew that there was something wrong with me. And in fact, once I started to have role models and be like, Oh, the word gay and lesbian exists and it applies to me that significantly improved where I was at versus just feeling like I'm different from everyone. And I don't know why I'm different. And I don't know why I'm di- and this, this constant sort of narrative that I think, um, you know, I, I live with mental illness. I live with depression and social anxiety. And I think to some extent it was augmented by like, I'm different and I don't know Absolutely. why. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was actually provided language for that, that improves my life significantly. We talk about this um, sometimes within the 
uh, LGBTQIA community of like people who are questioning their gender identity and like, well, I'm probably, you know, or, or questioning their sexuality and like, well, I'm probably not bisexual. I'm probably not non-binary. Like it's just a, whatever it's like, you know, straight and cisgender people don't wonder if they're gay. <laughs> right. Right. Or they might as like a passing thing or like when you're drunk and you're joking around with your friends, but like, it's not a question that comes up over and over and over again, over a period of years. And so if you propose to a kid, like, do you think you might be gay? They're going to be able to be like, no, I'm not into people like that. Like they're going to be able to tell you, um, or even if you just provide them with options and you're like, you know, when you someday bring a home, a boy or a girl or anyone, and they're going to be like, mom, ugh. Um, yeah. Yes. And that's what my oldest daughter has taught me. Like, this is how I'm going to raise my children. Like you don't just ask, give a crush on a boy. And that's such a different paradigm that we've been raised in, even if we weren't raised in the church. I mean, I think of my own life, I wasn't necessarily raised in the church, but I knew no children at school that were from the LGBTQ plus community. None. It was like, that's just not an option. But now it's, we wonder, you know, we can question why we have in later age, women and men coming out. It's like, cause it was not an option for them. So I love that point that you made. Yes. It might encourage them to come out if they're exposed to it because it's encouraging them to be who they actually are and not suppress it until they are at this point of desperation to come out. So I appreciate that thought. So let's go back to, okay, you're at this place, created this safe home, but then your child does come out to you. And I know there's a lot. And first of all, I think that's huge if your child feels safe enough and comfortable enough to, but it can be unsettling because I mean, maybe some parents are expecting it. They've seen things that have indicated maybe that will happen. But I think most parents, at least that have confided in me, have been taken by surprise of how to react, what to say. And it also depends on the age and if they're coming out and telling you they're bi or transgender or a whole different thing. So where do we, where should we start with that then, Emmy? Because there's a lot of variables there and I'm trying to be generic, but there's a lot. <laughs> there's so many places. I think one of the practices we can work on with, with kids at at all ages and for any, you know, life transition, I don't want to play soccer anymore. You know, like I don't want to hang out with, so I don't want to have any more more play dates with so-and-so. Um, I don't want to go to this, you know, I don't want to go to the school that I'm going to, to practice stepping into those spaces with openness and curiosity, which is really, really hard and exhausting, obviously, because especially right now, parenting for the past two years has been, I can't even, I don't have kids yet. I have watched a lot of friends do it. And I'm just like, this is, this is awful. Like this is, there is no, no one is enjoying this. Um, Kids aren't, the parents aren't, teachers aren't, no one's enjoying it. So when we can, when we can find that energy of saying like, oh, okay, interesting. Like rather than like, well, mom, I don't want to play soccer anymore. And the answer is like, well, we paid for the season. So you're going to finish it, which like is, that is a response. I mean, sometimes that can be like a response that's coming out of uh, an authoritarian position in a family. And sometimes that is a response of like, I'm exhausted. I figured out a schedule that gets you there. I figured out the carpooling. I need you to be out of the house so I can actually get things done please don't do this to me. Are you and sure like, you're not a mom, Emmy? Cause that just sounds exactly why my reaction would be that. <laughs> um, like I said, a lot of my friends are moms. Yeah, um, okay. And so, um, and dads and um, non-binary parents as well. Yes. So, so sometimes we will have reactions to kids that are, are in the moment and they are out of exhaustion and out of stress. And so I think kids can be smarter than we give them credit for, especially kids in this, um, in like late generation Z and generation alpha that are like developing critical thinking skills and becoming aware of other people's emotions and boundaries in a way that previous generations maybe weren't invited to into as much. I think, I honestly think with the advent of social media that 
kids, like preteens and teenagers have access to understand adults as people (laughs) rather than like as authority figures. Mm -hmm. Um, and so working on developing a relationship where you can come back to a kid and say, Hey, the way I talked to you 15 minutes ago, wasn't okay. And I'm really sorry. Can we try that again to say to a kid when they're like, well, I don't want to go to soccer. Like, okay, we still need, we, like, we're going to practice right now because we signed up for this responsibility and you have a coach and blah, blah, blah. We will talk about this after let's get ice cream or, you know, figure out, a, figure out a time that says like this, I'm, I'm recognizing this conversation is important to you. Let's go get ice cream after. And we'll talk about it. And maybe they get in the car and they just go like, I had so much fun. And you're like, do you want to go talk about quitting? No, I'd never want to quit. And it's great. Awesome. Right. Um, but you're at least validating those feelings and giving them the time right. that they need and not blowing them off. And that transfers into other bigger areas of their exactly. life. Mom, I think I might have a crush on a girl. Mom, I think I might be gay. Mom, I think I might be a boy. Like all of these things to like take a breath check in with yourself as a parent and say like, okay, what are the reactions that I'm having right now? And like first and last words out of your mouth should be something about love. Mm-hmm. right. Of like, mm-hmm. there is nothing that can change the fact that I love you, you know, and that's, that's hard. You're, you're at a loss for right. It's hard. I know. So right. I, I well, I'm trying to agree with you. I know yeah. it, this is, this is really hard because there's not one pat answer. Um, right. but I think what you just said, like affirming your love for them because it can take you back. You can be speechless. You can, if they're younger, um, you can think, Oh, they're too young to know that. I mean, that's totally yeah. invalidating. And I also go back to what you just said. If your response is not what you think it should have been going back and asking yep. them if they're ready to have that conversation again. We can, we can do a lot of redos as parents because when we know better, we do better, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the I th- love is the hugest one. And I think you can like, if, if a kid catches you off surprise with that, you can say like, Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. this conversation right now. I can tell it's important. I need five minutes to just like not have my hands full of dishes in the sink or whatever, you know, figure, figure out your explanation, whether or not that's a specific explanation of like, Oh, holy shit. I didn't realize. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) no, keep saying it. Um, (laughs) This podcast has changed a little bit. I mean, since you first came on, (laughs) like, I wouldn't suggest saying to your child, like, um, crap, I, and everyone else in this family are homophobic. I'm going to need 10 minutes to like completely readjust my life view about you, but just like finding a way to get anybody else, but me, please. Right. Right. Like find a way just to like, I need a couple minutes to finish what I'm working on. Like I need to let the dogs out, whatever excuse you need to come up with. And then take a couple minutes to just check in with yourself and be like, okay, if this is truly what my child is stepping into, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. I don't have to get it all right. The first time, what they need to hear from me is just that. I love them. I had a mom, uh, was sharing with me about when her daughter came out and her daughter was a, a little upset because she felt like her mom should have celebrated the news more. So Mm -hmm. should we be celebrating that? Like what, and that depends on the child and the age, I'm sure. But what, what are your thoughts on that? Cause that's something I hadn't thought about. Should we be like celebrating and getting them a pride shirt? Like if we're really down the line. So thoughts on that. Right. Because that's so reflective of where the kid is at and where the parent is at Mm -hmm. and the whole family Mm -hmm. system, right? Like Mm -hmm. it it might be really intimidating for a kid who's sitting in the backseat being like, mom, I think I might be gay for mom to be like, we're making a U-turn going to target and clearing out the pride section. Like, whoa, okay. Slow down. (laughs) Like, um, I actually don't want to be like the rainbow painted Subaru in the pickup lot. Like chill, chill out, mom. Um, 
kids are going to have various reactions. And of course, children always know better than their parents about how their parents should have reacted. So I'm sure, you know, you can find the anecdote of a child who's like, you should have celebrated me more, or I wish you'd celebrated more. And you can also find an anecdote of a child that was like, you went way too hard in the paint for me. Right. There's not one answer. Like that's right. totally dependent on the child, the family, the situation. And again, doing better the next time. I mean, if that's something your child voices to you, then perhaps you do then celebrate later. But I, I'm with you that I don't sure if that's the initial reaction, because I think depending on the age of the kids, I mean, they're really trying to sort and figure things out. And a lot of what they say, they're, they're bouncing off of us to see like gauge and to help them sort this through again. So much depends on the age. If you have a 12 year old or a college age kid. Okay. So speaking of, if you do have a younger child, Mm-hmm. And your first thought could be, oh, they're too young to know, mm. or they're just copying off of friends. Sure. What do you do with that? What are your thoughts on that? Because sure. you knew how old, and I know there's not a pat answer. That's why this is like this hard conversation because it's not everybody's the same. So you knew how old were you, I mean, So I like I truly like I knew knew when I was 14 but there were I would say already signs by the time I was six and I first heard the word lesbian and understood what it meant at age eight and I remember being interesting because there was a a lesbian couple in my life as a kid um friends of my mom's and I had never really just like they were just presented to me as like this is you know Sam and Alex not their names um but this is Sam and Alex and they're together and I was just like oh okay cool like they come over but I'd never really thought about oh like oh wow two girls can get married or like live together just like right. a man and a woman can. I never really thought about it. Like they were adults. I didn't really care about their inner lives. Right. Um, right. And you're young. So yes. Right. Like just, okay. They're adults. Do they bring me presents on my birthday? That's really mm-hmm. all I like understand about mm-hmm. their context. And when I was eight, a girl at school used it as a slur against this other girl. Like, Oh, she's such a lesbian. And I was like, what's a lesbian. And she said, well, it's a girl who likes other girls. And I remember being like, huh, I like other girls. This could be a problem, but you know, it it was not something, it was presented just so matter of factly by this other kid who, yeah. So, so by the time I was in a negative light, so of course you're internalizing this homophobia. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and like over time I came to understand like, Oh, okay. My parents have a lesbian couple in the family, like in our circle of friends, I'm okay. Um, but there was a while where I was like, that is a bad word. And that is a word that means me. So I already knew by eight. And if you think about when kids start developing crushes, it's often preteen or even earlier than that years. So it's perfectly possible for someone at that age to start figuring out, like I, I deliberately remember picking the boys that I had crushes on. That is not something that a straight girl does. Straight girls just have crushes. Right. And I remember like looking at all the boys that my friends had crushes on and picking which one I would have a crush on. Mm. And then like figuring out how to live into that and like do that and do like, what do, what do girls with crushes do? Like, okay, watch them, watch what happens in romantic movies and do those things. Um, so I knew early on. And, and, so, and um, you're also, which is not uncommon, I mean, wrestling with the depression, anxiety of having these feelings. So I think, and I'm right. not saying all kids that suffer with depression, anxiety are, are queer. I'm just saying that that could be something that you were wrestling with at a young age and that you could see in children. Yeah. And, and don't you think too, I mean, again, there's not a pat answer to that. I don't think, I mean, that was my own preconceived, like, oh, kids are too young to know, but I, I don't think that's true. But I think as parents, we can help them figure out because we're teaching them so many things to figure out with their body and in this world. And it's like, that is part of our role and part of them coming to us, especially if they're young, we're helping right. them on that road. We're helping kids imagine what their adulthood is going to be like. And the more that we give them 
options and understanding, the better they can really step into an adulthood that mirrors who they are, you know, in the same way that we've talked about already with career choices. Like if you, and to some extent you might have kids that sort of, um, identity hop in the same way that they do, you know, like, well, you know, at, f- at five years old, like I'm a dinosaur, I'm a cat, I'm Pikachu. Yeah. Um, I'm going to grow up and be a doctor, a firefighter, a veterinarian, you know, whatever. And they grew up to be like a CEO. And that was never something that right. I mentioned, right. but you know, we support them. We just say like, Oh, okay. You want to be a veterinarian? Like, let's get you a little cute little doctor's kit to play with at home. Right. And like, tell me why you want to be a veterinarian. Do you love animals? Yeah, I love animals. Okay, great. Let's get you some cute little stuffies that you can practice veterinarian work on rather than like, there's never been a veterinarian in this family. You'll never, you know, blah, blah, blah. You won't be my child if you're a veterinarian. So how do we just like ask open-ended questions that help kids think about like, what are the emotions that this is coming up for? Because if a kid says like, I think I might be trans and the response from a parent is, yeah, well, everyone's trans nowadays. You're just doing it because your friends are doing it. Like, oh, Okay. And so even if that kid froze up and is not transgender, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to figure out what your sexuality and gender identity is in a world that tells you your sexuality is straight and your gender identity is whatever you were assigned at birth. And like 90% of the world is geared to that. It's hard to figure that out. There is a lot of shifting of labels as we try to figure out who we are. When the response from the parent is, I'm going to laugh or make fun of where you're at, even if that's not where you end up landing, even if you end up having a cisgender and straight kid, they will remember when they said to you, I think I might be different and I want to talk about it. And you made fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying like, okay, relationship over. I'm saying like, if that mistake got made, we loop back and we say, let's bring that back up. Right. And I I've heard that response so many times the parents have replied, like, it's just a phase because all of their friends are going through that right now. And whether it is or isn't how you reply to them, because how invalidating is that of feelings to say that? Like, if I were to tell you, I'm really grieving right now. And you said, yeah, everybody in the world is. You know, I mean, I mean, that's yeah. what I think. Like you're just I'm really sad like, about the pandemic. Well, yes. So is everybody yeah. else <laughs> freaking club. Yeah. It's so so cool to be sad right, right now. Right. Because this world is so hard for our kids. And if they don't have the safe space at home, then they're not getting it in the world. I mean, or they'll go searching for it and maybe they will, but it will be much harder. I mean, I think of my own, my daughters know they were raised in an affirming, loving home. And even my own 12 year old trying to figure out life says, said to me once, if I was gay or bi, would you be mad at me and still love mm-hmm. me? Like I was shocked, utterly mm-hmm. shocked. Cause I'm like the conversations we've had, what she hears at home, that's still in her little mind. She's questioning that. So our kids want love and validation so much and they've got to get it at home or they're going to go searching for it elsewhere. So, I mean, that is my passion plea. I think to parents first and foremost with all of this, do you have any more to add to that? Cause well, like everybody's gay nowadays, everybody's trans nowadays. Yes. Because for the first time in history, we're not putting them in jail. That's so true. Yes. Yes. Like I I just like it, it just, you know, Oh gosh, everybody wants a living wage nowadays. Yes. Because (laughs) that's a thing we should want. Like to be able to know who we are and step into it, it is a thing that we want. And like, for the past thousands of years in most of the dominant Western cultures, people who fell outside the straight and cisgender boxes were demonized and ostracized and abused in order to fit into those boxes. And finally we have situations in which that's 
like a, like no longer a thing. And we're, we're surprised that suddenly like everyone's gay. Well, I, what if the truth is that there were a lot of gay people before now, and we just simply didn't create space for understanding it. What if a lot of people have been bisexual since the dawn of time? Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, the, you know, the way that marriage is structured, it's a man and a woman and every bisexual person just went, all right, well, that's fine. I guess like I can do that. How much do I love my spouse because I love them? And how much am I okay with my spouse? Because no one presented another option. Right. I mean, I think that's the world we're living in right now. And I think, yes, yes. Um, And the pandemic has put so much stress on all relationships. Like I see mm -hmm. people who are like, am I straight? And I'm like, yes, let's validate and have this conversation. (laughs) And when you've been stuck at home with your spouse for 18 months, a lot of stuff can start getting very irritating. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll come back for that. Okay. okay. Yes. Yes, we will really get back in. So my next question thought with all of this, so you could say all the right things to your child, tell them they're loved and affirmed, but you could also be in an extended family and friends that are non-affirming. So do you say to your child, let's not tell anybody or, cause I think that's what your mom said to you, right? You came out to your mom and she was affirming, but was like, yeah, but let's not tell people. Am I right? I'm trying to remember from your story. Yeah, that's, that's pretty close. Yeah. Specifically, they said, let's not like, don't tell anybody at school, okay. which tracks for where I was at 16. I, I had had a lot of trouble making friends. My parents had mm. thought at different points about pulling me out and putting me in private school. Um, charter and magnet wasn't as much an option back then. Um, there was so like, would it be better if she was in another situation? Um, And so there was concern about whether or not this would incite bullying, because again, at the time there were not role models. My school did not have like a gay straight alliance or any kind of support for gay kids. There was, um, one supposedly lesbian couple in the high school that I went to, but like there, there weren't a lot of other people. And so there was this, like, if you tell other people, it'll be even harder for you. Yeah. Yeah. They're protecting you. Yeah. And I can't, yeah, I can't like blame them for it. They were entirely acting out of like, we love you and want to protect you. Um, the disagreement that I have with that now is, I mean, I I disagreed with it at the time because at the time I was 16 and I knew everything. Um, and so I, well, I tried coming out in like bits and pieces and I kept a list in front of my journal of who I had told and in what order. Mm. And then I found out that when you tell someone a secret, they tell other people. Yeah, your um, list was longer than you realized. My list was a lot longer than I had uh-huh. realized. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, things turned out okay. Um, things actually turned out better than okay. But um, but yeah. So there there was some substance to what my parents were saying. I think what I would have preferred, and I I don't think either of them had been given these skills as a parent, would have been for them to say, "We're worried that you'll have more trouble." making and keeping friends. If this is something that you make known to your friends or like, how do you, you know, asking open-ended questions, how do you think your friends would respond? Who are you comfortable with telling if, you know, if someone says something hateful to you, how do you want to protect yourself in that moment? And how can we help you? Yeah. Um, cause again, I was 16, like I didn't have all the answers, but to be brought into dialogue, um, would have been, I think more helpful for me. Everybody's different, right? Some kids need like a black and white of like, you know, some kids need the mama bear to run in and be like, I am going to be the most proud mom, um, of a little, you know, gay or bi or trans kid because they need me to be that because they mm-hmm. like, 
are tender and need to be protected. And some kids like don't need that. And I didn't particularly need it. And I think if my parents had said, you know, um, you've had trouble with getting teased by these couple of boys. Do you, do you think they might have a reaction if they found out you were gay? And then I could have been like, Oh, Hmm. Yeah. All right. And I might've been like, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody for probably a couple months. And then eventually I think I would have been like, well, screw those dudes. Like, right. Not literally. Um, like let's, uh, like I'm, I'm ready to fight. Cause I, I do have a tendency to do that, but you know, especially for older kids to invite them into how they're creating their world. So who do you want to be open with? Mm-hmm. And that might be like stepping back and saying, okay, great. Like we support you. Um, we love you. You know, your journey is yours and you know, um, uncle Asher, you know, goes to this church and he's a very active elder and he's had, he's said things before that are kind of homophobic. So how do you want us to talk to him? Because we don't want to tell him and have him say hurtful things to you. And we don't want to hide it. And then again, to say like, this can be an ongoing conversation because like, we're all figuring this out and kids are in flux, but say like, like, let's bring them in and present them with options. Um, and maybe give them like, I know as parents, we want to kind of like protect our kids and and head off like, okay, fine. We're just never hanging out with that family or like, okay, just don't tell him anything. Um, and I, I think, and again, like age appropriate and, and developmentally appropriate, we can bring our kids into that conversation of what are you comfortable with doing? Yeah. Cause maybe they're going to yeah. say, well, I, you know, uncle Asher, whatever, but I love my cousins and I want to see them and I want to tell them. Okay. And like, well, if uncle Asher says something stupid, I'm just going to get outside. I'm just going to get up and leave the table and go outside and play. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, great. Now we've had that discussion. And when it happens and there's an inevitable, blow, <laughs> there's a blow up. Yeah. Um, I get to be proven right as a parent for calling that situation. And you get to state your body authority. Great. We all, we all sort of won in that situation. (laughs) And it's, I mean, saying this is a lot easier than doing it, obviously, because it's like, I know I'm not alone and I have a very conservative family, extended family. I come from a very conservative church that I raised my girls in and you, and you want again to protect your child. So I think it's all, it's really hard. And I don't, I'm not articulating this well, but it's like their own faith journey, I think will be disrupted a little bit because they've also been raised around these people that they think are great and good and loving. And then to find out maybe they wouldn't be accepted by them. Like that's really a hard, a hard thing that you're also having to work through. I know even with my own daughter, it came up this last weekend that a church we attended in Tulsa. Um, I'm just going to say it transformation church, huge church. Mm-hmm. It was our kind of our rebound church after leaving a very small white conservative church, but we did leave because they weren't, um, affirming and the pandemic hit, but Mary, my, well, I'm going to take that out. My 12 year old didn't know they weren't affirming because she wasn't even probably thinking through that then. And we talked about this weekend, how they weren't. And she was shocked wait, what? Like that was a really, like she kept asking and could not get her little mind around that. So I just, again, I think it's a really, really hard thing because depending on your environment, you're really crashing down a lot for children that have had Jesus loving people and then saying they don't, it wouldn't accept LGBTQ plus community, how they are. It's Mm -hmm. a lot. So I'm kind of rambling because I'm trying not to say no, too no, much no, you're about right. certain things, Emmy. So um, <laughs> no, I'm you're right. Really about my own stuff, but yeah. So I think that's really a hard thing. It is. It is. And and again, I want to like I want to validate how exhausting things are for parents. I mean, in every year, but especially in the past two. And so, just like how how do I parent my child well and care for them well? 
I don't want to keep having 18 conversations about this. And yet that development of critical thinking and moving from sort of black and white people are good or people are evil is, is a crucial part of growing into adulthood. And so again, like by having these conversations, we're also helping our set our kids up for whatever comes next. Like if the kid turns out to be straight and cisgender and dates an abuser, And wow, this, like, I love this person and I care about them, but they're really awful sometimes. And And they love Jesus and go to church. So how can that be? Yeah. Right. Like, well, he thinking, right. And so when we lay these foundations of like, we can love people, we can have them in our family. We can have had good, positive experiences with things, but at some point we need to like Marie Kondo it and say like, thank you for the good things you brought into my life. But right now it's all bad or you're just taking up, you know, you're just taking up and creating toxic space. The more we can teach our kids to do that, the more they're going to be equipped for like, I'm not staying in this job that undervalues me. I'm not staying in this relationship. That's abusive. I'm not staying in this church that degrades me, et cetera. Um, and again, it's just a, it's a long-term conversation. We don't have to hit it out of the ballpark every time I saw the statistic on TikTok, So I don't know how valid it is, but I saw a thing that said, if you meet 30% of your child's um, emotional needs, they will develop a secure attachment. That's it. The bar is on the floor. That's just slightly better than a good baseball player. Average is 30%. Um, throwing that one in for John, (laughs) but that's good. That has to tell, like, we don't have to hit a home run every time. We don't have to a hundred percent get it all right. Our children, again, it goes back to the love and acceptance and listening and having, these conversations and the whole faith deconstruction, reconstruction, figuring out can be hard and scary, but how much better, easier, lack of a better term, just wonderful for them to start figuring out their own faith with our guidance at a young age than like just taking in what they're spoon fed. Yes. And having somebody else's faith and then totally rejecting it as they get older. And you know what? Kids who are taught to have critical thinking and ask questions and have boundaries from a young age are annoying. I want to be very clear. Like when you start (laughs) raising your kids like that, I was having this conversation with a family at my church who's going through a major deconstruction process in part because one of their kids is like exploring, identifying as non-binary. And, um, they were just like, our, our children never stop talking and they're always asking questions. And I didn't do this as a kid. And I was like, huh? Yeah. I like that. That is interesting. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to raise like healthy children that are supported rather than children that are sort of authoritatively shut down. So when your child starts annoying you because they want to have these big conversations or make these like body autonomy decisions, they're actually doing something really healthy. (laughs) It's just very different from the way we might've imagined life. Right. Children should be seen and not heard. And that's what, I mean, I wasn't necessarily totally raised with that, but definitely generations of my family were, and we're getting out of that. And we should be grateful for these inquisitive, talkative children. I know it's not always hard when you're in it or easy when you're in it, but um, (laughs) you just wait, I mean, you just wait. Um, (laughs) Going back to the affirming, non-affirming church. Now for me, it seems like, okay, it's a no brainer. You raise your children in an affirming church. I know when I had Jamie on the podcast, she talked about, you need to make the choice. If your child comes out, like you are part of the problem, if you're going to a non-affirming church. And I did have some moms reach out to me and put the feeling that no, they need to stay so they can make a difference and change minds where they're at in their church. I know what I think about that. What do you think about that as a pastor? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I hate to say this, but I'm going to tell you again, it's not a black and white answer. 
um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be age appropriate. It's going to be developmentally appropriate. It's going to be, um, church context appropriate. You know, like if you've got kids who are going to a church that is like, we're taking all the girls away for a purity culture weekend. And like, they have to do, you know, the, whatever they call them, the purity balls. Is that what it was? Where like you dance with your dad and you promise your virginity to stay pure kind of thing. Like maybe, maybe that's one to leave. trigger warning, trigger warning. Here. <laughs> yeah. My apologies. Um, <laughs> But if you've got a church that's like kind of in the wiggle space or, you know, like you've had a long-term relationship with, then maybe it's worth saying to the kid, like, and again, like this is going to be different if you have a six-year-old versus a 16-year-old and, and saying, you know, at whatever the developmental and age appropriate stage is, it's like, this is what our church is like. What are we going to do now? So it might be for a six-year-old who wants to transition and you get major pushback from church leaders, you might have to say to your kiddo, like, you know what, this church has always known you as Isaac and they're not accepting you as Sarah. So we have a couple options. I know you really like the Sunday school here. Mm -hmm. Like, I know you love going to vacation Bible school for your safety. We might have to send you as Isaac and you'd have to wear boy clothes or we can start looking at going somewhere else where you can be Sarah and wear your dresses what do you want to try out? And it might be like experimentation. Like let's hop to some other churches and see what happens. Summer is a great time to do that. I mean, this is all, you know, post post pandemic with safety precautions, et cetera, kind of situation. If you raise the conversation with like key church leaders and pastors and it gets really harshly shut down, that might tell you about, you know, whether or not this is a place where you want to stay and try to work for change or whether you want to leave. I don't think we talk often enough about like vocation um, and calling as not just your work or like preaching the gospel, but also like, who are you, who are you called to be in that situation? You know, are you called to leave with leadership and saying like, I'm putting my child in the love of God first. And those of you who want to come with can come with, or, you know, like I'm called to stay and do this. There's vocation in all of those options. The only place I don't think there's vocation is if the church is actively perpetuating conversion therapy, if the church refuses, especially in um, situations where you've got a non-binary or transgender kid, we know that um, the more a child's chosen name and pronouns are used, the more their suicidal ideation and suicide um, attempts drop. So if you have a church that insists on using the chi- the name and pronouns that they have known previously for your child, it may be significantly contributing to mental illness um, and other negative symptoms. So that would be the one place where I'd say like, this is probably a really hard line of like, exposing your child to that is actively putting them in, in psychological yeah. danger. Yeah. I'm um, glad you said that. Cause that was my thought when you said, well, you could ask the child if they go, you know, this church that they can't yeah. dress is who they want. Like God, some kids might choose the friends and comfort. And when we know it could be so damaging. So yep. I'm so glad that you said that part of it. And I think uh, we can keep returning to that again. Right. Cause I know as a parent, like you want the conversation to be over, like just stay in the soccer league. We figured this out. But like mm-hmm. if Sarah comes out of Sunday school you know, three weeks in a row crying because everybody's still calling her Isaac. Yeah. It might be time to like, let's go out and get ice cream and talk about this again. Like I can see how much it's upsetting you. Yeah. Can we try something else? And my other thought with that is, I mean, thinking back to my own, the church that we went to in Oklahoma for the long stretch, um, that was definitely not affirming, you know, they said, you know, we welcome anybody, but of course you can't stay like that. Cause that's a sin. Um, I think as parents, you need to think, you don't know if your child is younger, you might not know what their sexual orientation, like they are hearing messages at a young age 
Right. So I think we need to be very weary and careful of that. If you're in a non-affirming church, what messages are they hearing already that are going to increase their anxiety, make them not want to come out make them think they're a sinner. So that, that would be my, my thoughts on that too. Okay. Let's fast forward. We have about five minutes left in me and talk about, um, a little bit about boundaries with same sex relationships, kids. So your child comes out, you're supporting that they're dating somebody that's the same sex. So that's definitely new territory because we're used to the girl, the girl boy binary and what are, what we say for dates or sleepovers. I don't know where you want to start with this, but clearly we've got to like rethink some of these dating rules, sleepover rules, all of that. So kids that are coming out, um, when they want to have sleepovers with, this is just generally speaking, anybody of any gender that they could potentially be romantically or sexually attracted to is kind of what we're talking like this nebulous form. Um, I'm not going to drill down on every possible identity and configuration because then we'd be here another 10 minutes. And I want to respect that. So, you know, suddenly you're in this context where like any friendship might be a sexual one, like, Holy, ah, this whole, whole, okay. At least I like knew that they were safe when they were hanging out with whatever. So first of all, we know that abuse can abuse is more likely to thrive when relationships are secret. So when we make kids have secrets, we put them in danger of not being able to talk to parents when something abusive is going on. So figuring out how to have more open conversation um, about like who they're dating, who they're seeing, not making them feel like they have to make it a secret, getting them sex ed that's appropriate for whoever they're dating and whatever their body configuration is. Scarletine is a really great resource for this. Um, it is very sex positive. So this, it might have, be, is this a website or book? Or yes. Okay. Uh, website. Um, and they also run like an Instagram and a Twitter and all those sort of resources. Okay. They probably have a TikTok. Um, okay. but so like the word scarlet and then running into the word teen. Okay. Um, re- it's very sex positive. Um, like it just sort of assumes kids might try to have sex. How do we help them make those decisions in ways that are honoring of their bodies and minds? And sometimes that means we have conversations that say like, if you're making adult choices, we live with the adult consequences. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do we plan for those and maybe try not to have to plan for those? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I would say for sleepovers, and honestly, um, having been to a lot of sleepovers even before I was out, I think this should be a rule for all sleepovers. The door should be open. Whether it's to prevent kids from having um, sexual contact with each other before we think that it's age appropriate, or to keep them from Googling stuff that they shouldn't be looking at on their own, or to keep them from like, you know, create um, getting into relationships or situations on the internet that are unwise. Like, I think I I also want to respect that kids need privacy. So like the door could be like partly closed, um, but still have some airflow or like they're in the basement, but the door is open, like give them some semblance of the privacy, but also, um, if we let them have a completely closed door, the way that like things can spiral behind that. I mean, even if you just think about like mean girls, cyberbullying someone else on Snapchat, yeah. it's harder to do if parents have at least some idea of what's going on, or there's even just like the, the threat of a door being open. Now that's not, I'm not trying to say take the door off its hinges and sleepovers have to be in the living room with a parent sleeping in the middle of the floor. We're finding that with, with like camping situations and and church lock-ins, it's like, you can actually let everybody sleep in the same room. And if kids are going to try to sneak off and do stuff, they're going to try to sneak off and do stuff, no matter what the sexual orientation and gender identity configuration is there. And like trapping, okay, girls in this room, boys in that room just means that they're more actively trying to sneak out 
and again, like phones cause a whole nother problem. So when we try to think about like, well, how do we prevent them from having any contact with each other, except under adult supervision, what we just do is teach our kids to be sneaky. Um, and instead what we want to teach them to do is like, let's check in with my body and check in with like the decisions that I'm making and also have a little bit of sense of accountability. With that. Yeah. And it's a lot. Like I want to just acknowledge that it's a lot. I think a lot of this is figuring out a little bit as you go along, but always coming back to the love, listening to our kids, affirming. And I don't know, it's hard and it's overwhelming, Emmy. It is, yeah. but it is. It absolutely given, is. <laughs> you've given, I mean, this has been very helpful and I think you've given some great um, insight and advice. So do you have any other resources? I know you said the Scarlatine. Are there any other books you would recommend as far as this topic or raising kids out of purity culture, raising LGBTQ youth? What, tell us, tell us where you recommend to go and we'll make sure to link things up too. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend um, Cindy Wang Brandt and her yeah. raising raising children non fundamentalist. She also yeah. has like that that organization that she started has many support groups that are sort of like on Facebook, but they're regionally focused, so they can have meetups, yes. obviously in safety and and in ways that are pandemic responsive. But so she wrote the book called Parenting Forward, and the subtitle on that is How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness. So she's fantastic. She does conference. She has great resources online. So again, that's Cindy Wang, um, W-A-N-G, Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T. The book that I usually recommend is, this is a book for parents of gay kids, a question and answer guide to everyday life. And that's been significantly updated. Uh, I think the most recent, I don't remember when the most recent version was published, but so it says gay kids, but it's significantly encompassing. Who is the author of that? Daniel Owens Reed and Kristen Russo. Okay. You can find it. um, It's relatively popular on Amazon um, as far as like parenting gay kids. And then a new book that just recently came out and that I'm really excited to have a conversation with the author of is um, Stacey Frenis, who was a Christian contemporary music artist. um, And she just published a book called Love Makes Room and Other Things I Learned When My Daughter Came Out. Just got goosebumps. I've been talking to her. Yes. She she sent me her book. Okay. And she will be on the podcast next season. But yes. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect to put, to link that one because I cannot think of a better mom to talk from experience and making the room. So those are those are yep. great options. And then Emmy, I know you have a new book. Did I, did you have any more? I stopped you after her because I was so excited. No, that's that's good. Those are good. Okay. We'll start there. Okay, but I know you have a book in the works, Emmy, and so we'll be having you back on to talk about that. Yeah, I just book. got the advanced reader copy today, so I have it. It's so, it's so neat. Um, So yeah, I love the first, it's gorgeous. Um, The first book was one coin found how God's love stretches to the margins. And this one is all who are weary easing the burden on the walk with mental illness. Mm. And so there is each chapter ends with questions like suggested questions to ask for parents or patients or therapists or pastors, just as we're walking with people through different degrees and symptoms of mental illness, like how do we communicate and have open-ended conversations with people rather than feeling burdened or sort of closed to it. And so there's, there's some of what I'm talking about today Mm. filtering into the book as well. I love that. When does that release Emmy? It'll be November 9th of this year. Okay. Well, we're going to have you on before it releases and we're going to talk a lot about that one too, but maybe you've given me another book for a book club, for a book club book. <laughs> we'll yes. just focus on you, Emmy, and your books. Okay. I think you're, gi- you're giving us <laughs> just, enough. Um, I I'll do want to turn them out on schedule. 
Exactly. I do want to say that this book club and doing your book, the feedback and opening minds like you have, like it's been really amazing to see. So I thank you just for your work and your word and your voice and giving this time and just your pastoral heart too. Like I'm just grateful for you, Emmy. I truly am. And I'm grateful for you. So thank you you again so much for having me. It's always such a delight to just get to sit down and talk to you. And um, yeah, just so thank you so much. Thank you.